Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Have you ever tripped? Have you ever fallen down or tripped? Have you ever tripped backwards where you slipped on ice or something and fell that way? If you have a choice of which way to fall, it's always better to fall forward. As a matter of fact, just a couple uh, hours ago, I fell forward. I was at a, um, a mechanic shop and I was coming out of the center bay and there was a car parked and there was a curb and I didn't see the curb and I tripped, one foot tripped on the curb and I fell forward. I didn't fall down on all fours, but I could see what was coming. I could brace myself. And the title of tonight's message is Falling Towards. Falling towards something rather than away from. If you take a look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now we know that only God knows the day and the hour of all these things, but the part that really struck me the last week or ten days is the falling away comes first. And I think that's a thing that we all need to be concerned with and observant of. The ancient Greek wording for falling away indicates that it's going to be in a, a rebellion or a departure. Now, the reason that's important for you and me is because it's a falling away from the faith. It's a departure from the faith, the faith that we have. And it was so neat... Uh, David picked the song, Protector of My Soul. And when I was singing, I was just thinking of the message tonight and how it says, O protector of my soul, you will stand against the foe. In the dark, you'll be a light for me, O protector of my soul. And over the course of my life as a Christian, I can tell you honestly, there's been times that I've fallen away from the Lord. I wasn't paying attention, attention to Him. I was doing my own thing. And because of God's grace and mercy, he's always brought me back to him. It's nothing special that I've done. He's put that heart check on me all the time, and I felt that pulling of him towards him again where I repented and just got back on track with him. The last couple of years with God's grace, it just seems my walk's been the best I've ever had in my, all my life. And I just praise God again. It's all him. I know it's not me because I know the doofus I was all those other years that I fell away from him. So I know it's him. And I read this verse and I, I really look at it and says, wow, a falling away is going to happen one day to people who were in the faith. And I don't want that to be you. I don't want that to be me. So the Lord put some things on my heart when I knew it was my... A lot of times when I give a message, it's out of my daily devotions. In other words, my reading through the year. You know what I mean? That's where I am. That's where God's dealing with me. And most of the time, I would say like 70-80% of the time, the messages come from where I am in my reading with the Lord. And it happened to be... 
a lot in Exodus and stuff like that. But I'm not going to get into the, the man of sin. Um, that day will not come. But just that falling away. And one of the things I want to look at tonight are the things that God has put in his word, in our lives, that we won't fall away. And I thought some visuals would help. I know it helps me. So I gave you some visuals. Uh, visuals. I had some time on my hands uh, today, so I was putting all this together. So I hope it's something you can use. But one of the things I wanted to emphasize was the scripture came to me, study to show yourself approved. And I think in the church today, people are content with going to a midweek Bible study, going to a Sunday service, and that's it. And I know Pastor Joe and I had talked about this before. The midweek and the uh, Sunday service should be icing on the cake for what you do in your one-on-one -on -one time with the Lord. So I want to encourage you, if you're not there yet, to dive in. And maybe, and I'm not going to cover deep a lot of this stuff, but maybe if you need to say, well, where would I start? Well, start here. Just take this and go with it. See where the Lord brings you. If you're not on a routine schedule or something, you're looking for something to study. Because it's so cool, some of the things that are in uh, the Old Testament with the uh, things that were set up in the temple, like the menorah or the table of showbread or the altar of incense, the veil, the uh, holy of holies with the ark. If you just study those things, so many things relate to our walk with the Lord and the way God tries to work in our lives through his Holy Spirit. Okay, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. It says, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. A couple things I just want to emphasize is, one, again, they'll be departing from the faith. Again, I just, I don't tremble at it, but like I'm concerned I mean, that could be people we know. And our prayer, we'll see this a, bit, a little bit later, is for the saints. We should be praying for one another. We should be praying for the churches that are teaching God's word, regardless of the denomination. We should be praying for the men and women, boys and girls, teens in our church when we just see them walking around. That prayer without ceasing can be an effective tool to reach those, intercede on behalf of those people we see all the time. It doesn't matter if you know their name. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't matter. There are three things that are going to take place in that first verse of 1 Timothy 4. There's going to be an apostasy, there's going to be a deception, and there's going to be a false teaching. It's going to be an apostasy, there's going to be a deception, and there's going to be a false teaching. People are going to depart from the faith. They're going to depart for what? What are they going to leave the faith for? What twist or turn are they going to hook on to? 
I think of the verse, um, the itching ears. They want to hear something that sort of strokes their flesh. And it pulls them towards that because they're not students of God's word. See, we're called to be disciples. And if you were in church on Sunday, Stu Mignon uh, broke that down. We're to be disciplined followers, disciplined students of God's word. There's not enough time in our lifetime to eat up all his word and get everything out of it. It doesn't matter how many times we read through the scriptures. It doesn't, how, doesn't matter how many times we take three verses and just meditate on them. There's always something that the Holy Spirit will just illuminate in our lives. There's going to be deceiving spirits that people give heed to. It's a deception. I think if you studied some of the religions in our world today, even the uh, religions that are called Christian, there's a lot of deceptions within the Christian church today. Like the Bereans, we should be. No matter what we hear, whether it's out of my voice, out of Pastor Joe's, even Chuck Smith, who's over at Calvary Chapel Old Bridge tonight. We need to study to show ourselves approved and check out what everyone is saying through God's word. Is it backed up in God's word? And that's a responsibility that both you and I have. There is a pastor. Uh, his name is David Guzik. And I think if you look on one of your pages in here, I wrote down his quote. It's probably on the, it looks like the sixth or seventh page in. It says, Bible scholars debate if it refers to an apostasy among those who once follow God or a general worldwide rebellion. In fact, Paul may have both in mind because there is evidence of each in the end times. Now, is this the end times? A lot of people that have been pastors for a long time, Bible-believing pastors that have been in God's word, feel that this is the end of the end times. Today, at the United Nations, President Obama talked about uh, a one-world economy to stabilize the financial situation throughout the world. A one-world economy. Now, understand, when you have a one-world economy, all of a sudden, all thoughts and all beliefs are starting to be just unified into one. And you and I, along with uh, the Jewish people, stand opposed to all this kind of stuff. We're isolated when it compares to the majority. But as we know the scriptures from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, through the book of Revelation, the followers of Jesus are always a minority. The majority are going to be deceived. They're going to fall away. But again, remember, the scripture that we're looking at is that there are believers who join the club and fall away. If you turn to Exodus chapter 33, Exodus 33, 
We're going to look at verses 7 through 11. Not Wawa or Quick Check. 7-11. Going to 7-11. So in verse 7 it says, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the Tabernacle of Meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the Tabernacle of Meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was whenever Moses went out to the Tabernacle, that all the people rose, and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass, when Moses entered the tabernacle, that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped, each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. There is, there is a lot of things in there. Like I said, you can study it over and over again. I'm just going to touch the surface. First thing that just jumped out to me is verse 7 where Moses makes a move. And the move he did is he took his tent, the place where he dwelt, and he moved it outside the camp. And he called it the tabernacle of meeting. What God spoke to me through this is, am I willing to leave my comfortable surroundings, spiritually speaking, might even be a physical move. To go outside the camp, outside of my comfort zone, to be in a more personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I know for so many of my years, I didn't even think of that. I didn't even consider that. But I'm, I want to do that now. And as we'll see in a, a few more, Moses deepened his relationship with the Lord by doing this. He didn't stay among the mixed multitude. Remember, when he let all these people out, there were Jewish people, and I'm sure there were some other people, non-Jews, that went with him. So it wasn't a purely a pure camp. So Moses, maybe he was distracted. Maybe he just needed to draw closer to the Lord. Because the promise is, as we know, the Lord will draw closer to us as we draw closer to him. The next thing is, when we are willing to make this move, when we're willing to take a step of faith to enter in a more deep personal relationship with the Lord, it revives us. It revives our spirit. And it deepens our relationship with the Lord. Moses made a determined effort in these verses. He didn't wait to see if everybody else said it was okay. He didn't ask anybody else's opinion. He went out and took that step, venture of faith on his own. Now, notice what his tent was called. It was called the Tabernacle of Meeting. And here the Lord, in verse 11, spoke to Moses 
face to face. Is that your prayer? That God would speak to you face to face. Now I know for me, over the past year, that's been my prayer. Lord, speak to me face to face. Now you look at that and say, well, what does it mean? Does it mean like I'm speaking to Arnie face to face like this? Do I expect Jesus whoa, like that, you know, it just blows me away? I don't care. Whatever Jesus wants to do, he can do. But when I'm talking to you face to face, we're making eye contact. I can, you can read my body language, my attitude, my personality, and I can read yours. I get to know you more on a more personal basis. And this is one of the things that I want to do with my Lord is know him more personal. I don't think there's ever a time until we see the Lord face to face that we're going to know him, the Bible says, right? Until we see him face to face. So I believe that God always wants to keep revealing himself to us, but it's a matter of our willingness and our heart to do that. Now, if you notice, the people stood at their tent doors and they watched Moses go to his place. But there was another person who didn't stay at his tent door, Joshua. And if you notice what happened, Moses would go back to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Now maybe Joshua didn't have anybody to go back to because he was the son of Nun. He had no parents. So maybe he was just a loner and he stayed in the tent. But I don't think that's the case. I think he was so blown away by what has taken place at this time of his life. He doesn't want to leave where he knows God is. He wants to be right in that place, right on the cutting edge. Remember uh, the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't want to leave the fiery furnace because Jesus was right there in the midst of that, to everybody else, terrible situation. But they wanted to stay right where the Lord was. When you and I are dwelling in the presence of the Lord, does it matter what's going on around us? I don't think so. It really doesn't. It can be a physical infirmity. It can be a financial situation. It can be a global crisis. But if we are dwelling in the presence of the Lord, seeing him face to face, doesn't matter. We're right where God wants us to be. In Exodus, uh, same chapter, if you jump down to verses 9 to 11, there's a word tabernacle there. And the tabernacle, uh, the word is, it's a residence. It's a dwelling place. And it was a portable dwelling place for God's divine presence. From the time of the Exodus from Egypt through the conquering of the land of Canaan. I'd like you to flip back to the New Testament to 2 Corinthians 5.4. 2 Corinthians 5.4. Remember what's so great about God's word is that God's word was written for people of all times. Not just the people who lived a couple thousand years ago, but the people that will live 20 years from now, should the Lord tarry. 
But more important, he's written it for you and me today, where we are at this time. It's alive, it's active, sharper than a two-edged sword. It's cutting right to the core of our hearts to try to illuminate the parts of our heart that still are out of touch with the Lord, that still aren't where it should be. In 2 Corinthians 5.4, it says, For we who are in this tabernacle groan, being burdened not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Notice this flesh is the tabernacle that we're dwelling in right now, where we're residing, okay? And we groan for that day where we have that eternal tabernacle, that eternal dwelling place where our spirit will dwell, where there's going to be no more aging and no more crying and no more death and no more pain and suffering and worry. That is our hope in the future based on what Jesus did after he died on the cross when he went to the grave and rose three days later. That's our hope. Just like the scriptures say, if Jesus is still in the grave, then we're wasting our time. We're without hope. We're still in our sins. But praise God, he has risen. He has changed our lives. You know what God has done in your life versus what you've done. You know how he's interceded versus what you have no control over. Staying in the New Testament, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. 2 Peter Chapter 1, verse 14. And it says, Knowing that shortly I must put off my tabernacle, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. What better example do we have than Jesus Christ for what this earth can bring to you, but what the future holds? both the trials and tribulations now and the future hope of glory. Now, as we look at some of the articles that were in the temple, on the cover of what I gave you, you'll get a picture of some of the things. The first thing we're going to briefly look at is the showbread. And I just want to encourage you, again, study on your own. Get into it and let God speak to you through His Spirit things that apply to you through the different things that are in the temple. The showbread. The bread symbolizes fellowship and communion with God. Now, I'm sure there's been a time in your life, hopefully recently, that you might go out with another family or a friend after service or after a, a Christian concert you go get a pizza or a burger or whatever, and that's a time that you're breaking bread, you're having fellowship, you're getting to know each other more. It's a time of bonding. It's a time of communion. In Exodus 25.30, you do not have to turn to it, but the, uh, it's where we see that this bread is called the show bread, and that's Exodus 25.30. And it says, And you shall set the show bread on the table before me always. Now, it literally means bread of the face. 
showbread, bread of the face. And I think of it today, face bread. You know, we're right there, we're having that interaction, we're eating, we're having a nice relaxed time together. And all while that's happening, we're getting stronger together. There's a bond that's being formed. Jesus had the showbread in the temple because it was a, one of the things that symbolized was he always wanted that fellowship, that close fellowship, like you would do with someone that you would go out to dinner with or lunch with. God always wants a fresh, new relationship. Every several days, that bread would be uh, baked again and, and new bread would be put out there. It wouldn't be the stale bread. There was always a new fresh, and you know that aroma of fresh bread, you know, it just draws you right to it. Second thing I want to look at uh, briefly is the altar of incense, and that can be found in Exodus 30. We're going to look at two verses if you want to uh, turn to Exodus 30, verses 1 and verse 6. Exodus 30, verse 1 and verse 6. In verse 1 of Exodus 30, it says, You shall make an altar to burn incense on. You shall make an altar to burn incense on. And if you jump down to verse 6, And you shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with you. Don't forget that Moses, in the tent of meeting, which was originally his tent that he moved out, he met God there face to face. Okay? And in this one, in verse 6, it talks about the mercy seat that is over the testimony, the ark of testimony, where I will meet with you, but there was a veil that separate. I think in one of the pictures there, you, get, you see that priest... And he is on the left side of the veil in the upper center picture. He is at the altar of incense. You can see the incense going up towards the heavens. The Ark of Testimony is on the right side of that picture, like the center picture. But there's a veil there that he cannot enter in. Okay? So we have the altar of incense and the veil. Now the altar was outside by the veil. If you look at that center picture, you'll see the lampstand on the left side. And in the bottom part of the picture, there is the showbread. And I'm dealing just with that one center picture above falling towards. Okay, where it says falling towards. You can see the different items right there. Now notice that the altar of incense, the lampstand, and the showbread are all in the holy place. They're not in the holy of holies. They're outside the veil. The furnishings, like the tabernacle, the furnishings in the, tab in the um, tent, just like the tabernacle, are a reminder that their purpose is a place where man meets with God. One more time. The furnishings, like the tabernacle, are a reminder that their purpose is a place where man meets with God. 
And this whole thing with falling towards is the falling towards a deeper, more committed, personal relationship with Jesus than each of us have right now. Like an ongoing, deeper walk. Now, incense on the altar was a, is a symbol of prayer. The prayer, our prayers going up to the Lord. And as we know, prayer, we used the acronym before of ACTS, A-C-T-S. Prayer can be adoration. Prayer can be contrition. Prayer can be thanksgiving. Prayer can be supplication. So prayer can be all of those things, any one of those things, any combo of those things. But our prayer is a constant prayer. Mike McIntosh, a Calvary Chapel pastor out in California, years ago I heard him on a tape. He said when he's driving, he's praying for the people driving by him that he'll never ever see. He's interceding for their the, uh, salvation of their souls. Plane goes overhead. Lord, I pray for everybody on that plane. Just protect them. Put some Christians up there that might be sharing the word even right now. I know that many times I do not take the power of prayer seriously or in, um, intense enough. But prayer changes things. God has shown us in his word what prayer can do. The ministry at the altar of incense depicts how we should always come to him in prayer. The ministry at the altar of incense depicts how we should always come to him in prayer. In humility, in expectation, in adventure. Like, Lord, what's, I can't wait to get to know you better face to face. What are we going to do, Lord? How can you use me more? What are you going to show me? I want that abundant life that we, I always read about. I don't want to play around with the world anymore. I want to dive in. Now, remember, we can pray because of what Jesus did on the cross. Our praying does not save us. But as a result of what Jesus did on the cross, we get to pray. We get to talk to God anytime, 24-7. That's awesome. Okay, let's take a look at the lampstand, and that is in Exodus 25, 31. Exodus 25, 31. You shall also make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be of hammered work, its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs, and flowers shall be of one piece. The tabernacle was completely covered. The only light that was in the tabernacle was the lampstand. That was the only light. The center of the lampstand, okay, to us represents Jesus. He lights everything around him. He's the source of all the branches that are on that menorah. Jesus is the light of the world. He illuminates, when we get into his word, he illuminates those things in our lives and others' lives, the things that are going on in the world. He sheds light on us. I want to look at the veil. Next, 
in Exodus 26, verses 31 to 33. Exodus 26, verses 31 to 33. It says, you shall make a veil woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. It shall be woven with an artistic design of cherubim. You shall hang it upon the four pillars of Achaia wood, overlay it with gold. The, their hooks shall be gold upon four sockets of silver, and you shall hang the veil from the clasp. Then you shall bring the ark of the testimony in there behind the veil. The veil shall be a divider for you between the holy place and the most holy place. Notice how exact God is. Notice how specific he is with the dimensions. God has laid out for us a way to approach him. One of the deceptions in the churches today, some of the doctrines of demons, are ways that you can get closer to God or a way that you can um, influence God or manipulate God. That is, that's nowhere in the scripture. The Jesus that we study is a lot different from the Jesuses that some other religions study. And that's important for us to understand. Just because a person or a church is labeled Christian doesn't necessarily mean they're born again. How many times have you heard someone say, well, oh yeah, you're one of those born agains. But yet Jesus says, unless we're born again, we can't enter the kingdom of heaven. But yet some Christians think that Oh, well, they're the born-again ones. And my question, well, what does that make them? Where are they on God's salvation? Where is that? If Jesus himself said you must be born again. In Hebrews chapter uh, 9, verse 12. I'm sorry. Uh, Hebrews 10, 19 and 20. Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 19 and 20. Verses 19 and 20 of Hebrews 10 says, Having boldness to enter the holiness or the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. Now, for you and me, the veil that separates us from the very presence of having that face-to-face -face relationship with the Lord is his flesh. But he died on the cross. And remember what happened when he died? The veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. So now that you can enter in at any time with boldness, the Bible says, to have that interaction with God. It's available to all of us with the right heart. The priest could only do it once a year, enter onto the other side of that veil. And he had to bring a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice that he offered for himself and the nation. You and I get to enter any time, day or night, into the presence of the Lord. Is the presence of the Lord a reality for you? Is it something that you can really relate to? If not, I just want to encourage you, take that step outside the camp and get there. God is not the boogeyman. 
He is your Father. He is your Creator. He is your Savior. He's your Lord. He's everything. He's everything you need Him to be in your life. He knows everything. He cares about everything. He wants to have that intimate, passionate relationship with all of us. What are we waiting for? What are we holding back? Why are we holding back? What is keeping us from that relationship? Notice the veil was the barrier. What is your veil? Ask God. God, is there a barrier that's separating me from that relationship with you? Reveal that to me because I don't want it there anymore. I want you to rip it down from the top to the bottom because I don't have a clue and I don't even know where to start ripping. But you do, Lord. Take charge of where I am right now. Okay, the last thing we're going to look at is the ark. Exodus 25.10. And it says, And they shall make an ark of Achaia wood. Now that ark, remember, is modeled after the throne of God in heaven. The ark is modeled after the throne of God in heaven. Do you want to fall forward or do you want to fall away? It's an easy question for a midweek people who come out to a Bible study. That is answered just by your actions. However, we need to take caution because the people that are going to fall away are people of faith. In the tabernacle there was a light, the menorah, and in 1 John 1.5 it says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. I believe in my life there's still spots, there's still areas of my heart that the Lord just wants to shine his light on and just clean out and freshen and make new. How about you? Are there things that the Lord just is maybe just talking to you? And this is maybe just another part of the God's Holy Spirit just chiseling away. You know, here's the third time I heard something about my heart and the dark recesses of it. That's the Holy Spirit. Act on Him. Act on God. He loves us so much. He's always trying to get our attention. Also in 1 John 1, verse 6, it says, if we... It says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. So is your fellowship where God wants it to be? If not, get there. Don't keep walking in the darkness. It's not a good place to be. You can easily trip in the darkness. I tripped on a curb when the sun was out. How are we going to trip, spiritually speaking, if we're walking in darkness? And I think I can say this for most of us. We've tripped in the dark places of our heart, many of time. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, again, think of the uh, altar of incense, the prayers rising up to God. I urge then, first of all, that request, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. So we see here in Paul's letter to Timothy, 
his instructions on worship to make requests, make prayers, intercede, make prayers of thanksgiving, and make them for who? For everyone. In Ephesians 6, verse 18, it says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With certain kinds of prayers and re requests? With all kinds. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And I want to encourage all of us with that. Be alert. I think this time, I don't know about all of you, and I don't know if it's because I'm getting older or things are really going wacky in this world, that, you know, no matter what your age is, it seems like it's really cracking up. We need to be alert. The only way we're going to be alert is by the Holy Spirit lighting up the things that we need to be alert to. Because our minds can't pick it out. It's got to be God guiding us and opening up our spiritual eyes. And if you look at that, I love that one picture on the front cover of the eye with the cross uh, of the crucifixion. That we need to see everything and everyone through the eyes of God and through the cross of Christ. God died for everyone, no matter who they are, no matter how bad they are. Jesus died for them. They're a potential miracle. They're a potential brother or sister. So be alert. Keep on praying for all the saints. And the last couple thoughts. In Jude 1.24, it says, to him, who, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence, without fault and with great glory. God wants us to dwell in his presence. Every time we draw closer to him, he draws closer to us. We are all one minute closer to meeting Jesus face to face. One day we will be presented to Jesus face to face. We want to be ready. We don't want to go, uh-oh. We want to have that anticipation that Right now, Lord, I'm ready for whatever you have for me. You know, I just want that intimate relationship with you. And the last verse is Acts 2, 42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. All the things that were symbolized in the holy place that brought that priest into a deeper relationship with Jesus. So as we know that Jesus is the light of the world and he's our light, that as we read his word and he is the word of God, he'll illuminate. We have fellowship with him. We have the prayers for the saints. God, that will all bring us into that deeper relationship with Jesus Christ where we see him face to face, where we get that personal uh, touch and we know it and we don't want to leave like Joshua. We don't want to leave that ever. We want to just stay right there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.